2: Hey, everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us today on Her Money. Today's conversation is one that I have been looking forward to for a while. And this morning, as I was prepping for this show, a headline caught my eye that I wanted to share. So, just this morning, when we taped the show, the cosmetics company Ulta released their quarterly report and they showed a net sales increase of more than 60%, which is just huge. And in an earnings call, their CEO cited moisturizers and serums and hair care as some of the company's largest growth categories and announced that Ulta will soon offer new anti-aging services in select stores, including dermaplaning, And hydrofacials. And the timing of this announcement just seemed perfect to me because what I was planning to share with all of you today is that since the pandemic, statistically, women have been worrying about our appearances more than ever. Nearly 60% of the dermatologists in the U.S. have reported a rise in cosmetic consultations since COVID. And the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery said the pandemic has led to a 10% increase in cosmetic surgery. They're calling it the zoom boom of procedures that many people say we're motivated by the fact that we are all being asked to stare at our own faces on video in bad lighting for so much of the day. And while there is nothing wrong with caring about how we look and wanting to put our best face forward, today we are going to go on a bit of a cleanse. We're going to dive into all things Body positivity, self love, health, and wellness. And we're going to do it with a very special guest, Jessamine Stanley, who is an internationally acclaimed voice in the wellness space. She's the author of two books, Everybody Yoga and the recently released Yoke, My Yoga of Self Acceptance, which explores. All of those issues, self-love, body positivity, and race. Jessamine is also the founder of the streaming wellness app, The Underbelly, which has made a name for itself as a home for the wellness curious who may feel displaced, discouraged, or overlooked. Due to not seeing themselves reflected in the health and fitness community. She is also the host of the podcast Dear Jessamine, which focuses on sex and relationships and an award winning social advocate. Jessamine, it's so nice to talk to you.
3: Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that generous introduction. And also, I really just want to dive into what you were talking about that Alta news. That was awesome fascinating to me oh my goodness so yes thank you so much for having me truly
2: oh my pleasure fascinating but not so surprising to me i mean i did not spend a lot of money during covid but i did find myself just completely reordering my foundation and my bronzer and all of those different things that i needed for zoom because it was daunting to stare at myself so much
3: that is exactly right. I mean, it is just so interesting, the difference that it makes actually having to engage with what you look like. And I think that so often, I actually talk about this in my first book, Everybody Yoga, we so often look to other people to tell us what we need to know about how we physically look. We ask other people, how do I look? How do I look? How do I look? And so I've often thought that it's very important to focus more on how we feel, like what get into how do the answer to how do I feel as opposed to how do I look? but there's this fascinating thing that I think I truly had not realized, honestly, just how few of us actually engage with what we physically look like. So that being on zoom, being on Google, Meet, being on whatever platform you're on and actually having to stare at yourself all day long. I think that is something that as a personal reckoning, as a call to action toward body acceptance and body liberation, that has been a crucial piece of the experience for me, like actually looking at my body. It's why I started sharing photos of my yoga practice on social media because I wanted to actually engage with what it meant to have that hard personal conversation. But it is so interesting to me the way that patriarchal values and ultimately the way that white supremacy has so thoroughly shaped our society that the response on the whole, the way that the meter would turn on a macro scale is that people would be like, yeah, I need to change my face. I need to change the way this looks. Like I don't... And even... that would be celebrated as something positive that like, wow, look at the gains that a company can have monetarily because of that. I don't think it's right or wrong or good or bad. And ultimately yoga is really not about good or bad. It's just about everything being as it is. So I think it is fascinating and such an interesting point at this time. But if I can take this one step further, I know I'm on a deep ramble. No, it's great. I think that when you first said this news, when you said Ulta, I was like, shout out Ulta. I could spend hours in Ulta <laughs> because it is, <laughs> it is a haven of self-care and self-love. They have everything. And I know that Pattern, which is Tracy Ellis Ross's mm-hmm. natural hair care line is sold at Ulta. I was like, oh my God, I would love to see the individual statistics on how each in-house brand is really affecting their their final margins. But then I was thinking like, oh, but we're saying that it's actually the opposite, that really people are like, no, I have to make sure that I have my makeup on because people can't see me looking the way that I look when I roll right out of bed. I mean, I would be curious how much... Even specifically, like how much shirt sales have increased or like the top half of your body, because I think that we now are investing more in what what the top half of the body looks like as opposed to the bottom half. So anyway, I just think that is all so interesting and such an, a beautiful reflection of where we are as a society.
2: Well, I agree with you, and I would be very interested. I wonder if shoe sales have plummeted, right? Because (laughs) we are so focused on the top half of the body. But before we get off on so much of a tangent, and I do want to come back to the good yoga and the bad yoga because I feel like I am bad at yoga, I first want to talk about your new book and your wellness platform and about you. I have followed you on Instagram for years. I so admire all of your messages of body positivity and the way that you bring yoga to every woman, to everyone. Is that what you set out to do? Tell me just a little bit about how you got started.
3: Mm. <laughs> You know, I definitely did no. I did not set out to inspire anyone else or to to do any sort of movement work. So I started practicing yoga when I was in graduate school and I came through it because of depression, which I've often found that most people who become obsessed with yoga, it's something happened in your life. Somebody died, some kind of something you got injured, like you're hurting somehow. And so I found my way to practice a friend of mine was really into yoga. It's the same old story. I think that everybody has had somebody in their life who's like, Oh my God, you should try yoga. It's going to change your whole life. It's amazing. And so I was really not interested in doing it because I had tried it once when I was in high school and just absolutely hated it. But I ended up really connecting with it when I came to it in my early twenties, because I felt like there were so many different parts of my life where I never gave myself the opportunity to step outside of boundaries. Like I decided the kind of person that I was, I decided what I was good at, what I was capable of. And then as soon as I'd get to the, one of those boundaries, I'd be like, Nope, not can't go past that. But in yoga, every posture, every breath, every moment is really just gearing you toward engaging with your boundaries and seeing what it is to step beyond the boundaries. And even when you said, I'm not good at yoga, I thought, man, that even just the idea of being good or bad at yoga, everything is, you everybody is great at it as long as you're showing up in the space. And ultimately it means accepting that you do fall down and that you face plants sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you get a bloody nose and, and that really all that matters in life is just getting back up again. And so I'm in grad school, I'm having this experience and I, eventually got the confidence to leave graduate school, which was making me very miserable. I moved to a new town. And when I moved, I really needed something to anchor my life. And I found my home yoga practice through that. And I started sharing photos of it on social media because I wanted to track my progress over time. And also, I was very isolated in my home practice, and I wanted to connect to other people. And so when I started sharing my practice though, I realized that I wasn't really connecting with other yoga practitioners. Mostly I had people reaching out to me being like, I didn't know fat people could do yoga. And I was just like, why do you think fat people can't do yoga? Fat people do all kinds of stuff all the time. So really we just have a visibility issue. And so I kept sharing my practice because I realized that through just being myself and, and being authentic, that, that, encouraged other people to do the same thing and also to show that this thing that I think seems radical, like a a fat black queer person practicing yoga seems radical on the surface. But in reality, there are so many people of all different lifestyles who practice. And I think it makes space for other people to see themselves as practitioners as well. So it was not my goal, but it's what happened.
2: You know, one of the things that strikes me, and I I don't want to get too far off course here, but if you substituted the word money or investments for the word yoga, in everything that you just said, it would be equally true. I bet. I think people don't show up because they don't feel capable. And once they get there and they stay there, yeah, sometimes you face plant and sometimes you have to start over. But it's the habit that's so important and the practice that's so important that Really makes the difference. Tell me about the new book. Tell me about Yoke. I know specifically that you dive into the intersection of capitalism and yoga, as well as guilt and greed. Tell me more.
3: Absolutely. So Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance, really sprang out of my first book, Everybody Yoga, because I realized that in Everybody Yoga, I really talk about the basics of how to just start your yoga practice. You can go from having never heard of yoga to practicing downward facing dog by the end of that book. But I realized that ultimately there is so much more that you engage with on the mat. It's not just the way that your body physically moves. It's about your emotional, your mental experience as well, and really accepting yourself as a spiritual being. And so for me, a lot of my yoga practice has been accepting my internalized racism, accepting the complicated relationship between capitalism and spirituality, really trying to understand what it is to have been sexually assaulted and need to move forward in my life. And really being able to just see the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of that, and just accept it as a part of who I am. And that that's what yoga is. Yoga means union. It means to bring together. And so yoke is my like millennial American definition of yoga. It means to join together the different pieces of yourself and, I wrote about capitalism, though, through this piece of myself that I think has been really called into question because of the work that I do as an entrepreneur. I mean, I think that there's so much that we're asked to not ask any questions about when it comes to to capitalism you're not supposed to ask any questions about like whether or not it's good to seek money to seek resources what that does to your spirit and then in addition to that as a spiritual teacher what does it mean for me to charge money for my services? Not that anything is good or bad, but just to actually engage with that question. And I think that where I've landed on this issue, it depends on what day of the week it is. But mm-hmm. the main thing that I, I do know that I have a deep respect for what capitalism offers us as a society, that it gives us a language that everyone can understand. We can all just, we, it's a tender that we can all work with. And, and I think because of that, there's this incredible opportunity for spirituality and an awareness of spirituality to really be a guiding principle for the way that we show up with money, the way that we exchange it between one another, the way that we understand it as a resource and what it can allow us to do both on a personal level and then also at a societal level.
2: I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that I learned researching my last book, which was called Women With Money, I asked women what they wanted to do with their money, what they wanted their money to do for them. And the answers were, in addition to securing my own future, a lot about changing the world, a lot about leaving a legacy, a lot about providing a foundation, not just for family and children, but for causes that were important to them. And important to their communities. And that's where I come down and believe that you've got to respect capitalism, that if you want to change the world, it provides you a way to do that.
3: That is exactly right. When I was a kid, my family very much lived paycheck to paycheck, There was no discussion of long-term financial planning at all. And so I am, I would say, currently in a process of understanding the different ways in which money is not just something that keeps you living inside. Money is something that can really change the world. And that it is not just through the accumulation of it. It's really through understanding that it is a resource. It's it's like air. It's like water. It's something that we all can have access to, that we can all find ways to connect with, and that we can also offer to other people. And I think that being able to see yourself, this is where I think that understanding myself as a spiritual being has been very helpful. It's understanding the inherent connection that I have with all other beings, not just human beings, but all other beings. And that the resources that I have access to, I can offer to all other beings. And that that can be the reason For my life, that can be my purpose for living, is that I am of service to others. And I think that, you know, there are so many different things that we're all being asked to engage with nowadays. And I mean, especially post COVID 19 and really trying to understand a deeper reason for being here on the on this planet, a deeper understanding of what's going on. And I think that all of this is a part of that, really being able to get down to brass tacks about what feels important and what feels necessary.
2: One of the ways that you are of service is with the impact that you've had and the movement that you started with body positivity. And let me just say that as someone who struggled with an eating disorder earlier in life, that's very meaningful to me. Can you tell me why it's so important to you? And how did you get over the fears you had, if you had any, of putting your own body out there?
3: Mm -hmm. My journey toward what I think of as body liberation, ultimately, really trying to understand my identity as being something that I own that is not owned by anyone else and that I can uh, really connect to outside the approval of other people, that has really come from a desire to just not hate myself, not hate not hate looking at myself. And, and the journey has been very, very dark at times and very conflicted and, and not the same every single day. And that there is no ending point also that I think the point that I'm at now is accepting that every day is going to be different and that there are going to be ups and there are going to be downs and that I learn to body shame myself from a very young age, I would say that it's one of the first things that I learned how to do. And I learned how to do it very well. And so now in my adulthood, I'm just in recovery from it. And in the same way that an alcoholic would not say that they're not an alcoholic anymore, if they are in recovery, they are still an alcoholic. In that same way, I still think of myself as a body shamer. And being able to accept that and being able to stand in that has been crucial for me to actually like put one foot in front of the other every day and show up in a way that is not wherein I'm not my own worst enemy. There are a lot of different things that have been important for me on this path. I think that the process of photographing my body and looking at my body, the parts of my body in particular that I was told to hate or that I have decided that I hated, like specifically my stomach, my upper arms, my throat, all of these different areas that I never saw people with fat bellies and fat arms and fat necks on television and in movies and in magazines. And so as a result, I didn't like them. And I tried not to look at those parts of myself. There are whole years of my life where I never photographed myself because I didn't want to look at that. And so it has been incredibly therapeutic for me, the process of photographing and recording my body in that way and actually looking at it.
2: Is that what you'd suggest to other people who struggle with this? And I think it's an especially an important question as maybe we get off Zoom a little bit and head back into the office that that mm-hmm. this idea of bringing body positivity back to the workplace is going to be even more important.
3: You know, I really think that there are so many ways that this practice can go left and can go wrong, where I think that there are many different ways that photographing yourself regularly can turn into an, an act of self-mutilation and uh, where you can become overly critical of yourself. But I do think that for me, I think that part of it is not feeling compelled to share the images with other people. Like for me, yes, I shared a lot of my work on social media, but at the same time, like, I think that that exact same practice could be harmful for someone so i think that considering that perhaps the photos are just for you and that it's your own personal journal and i don't think that you necessarily have to be in movement when you're doing it like i definitely appreciated photographing my practice of yoga postures and looking at that i think that you don't have to be practicing yoga or running but i do think that doing something in the image where you feel joy, where the moment that the photo is capturing, you know that you're loving life. Because what's going to happen is that you're going to go back and look at the photo and you're going to immediately start casting a cloud over it and think like, oh my God, look at my stomach. Look at my arms. Look at my neck. Oh my God, I can't. And really it's like, you remember a couple minutes ago when you were feeling great That's still real. These two things and being able to cross compare that I think is crucial. I say all that to say that the main tip that I would really offer for anyone who is seeking a version of body liberation for themselves is to find a few moments every single day that are only for you. And it might be five minutes. And it might be in the morning. It might be on your lunch break. It might be when you're about to go to sleep and your kid might've been hanging off your tit a moment before, literally like you might've been taking care of somebody needing to be someplace else, but finding a moment that is just for you where you can, And maybe it is honestly putting on a coat of lipstick that you got at Ulta and like staring at yourself in the mirror and saying like, I'm a bad bitch. I'm beautiful. Look at this. <laughs> like I like really just appreciating the glory of the universe that is here. And you can snap a photo of that if you'd like to remember it, if you'd like to be able mm-hmm. to call upon it. But sometimes I think it is that simple, you know. It might be just five meditative breaths maybe with your cat sitting quietly, just taking a moment for yourself. It might be yoga postures. It might be going for a swim. I think it's helpful to remember something that you enjoyed as a child because that child is still inside of you. That kid who really just wanted to be loved, that being is still there. And if you can speak to that being as much as you can, you'll be able to feel as though you own yourself. And even watching children and seeing how free they are and how they're not worried about Whether or not they have body they don't have body issues because they own themselves. So Mm -hmm. taking the cue from them as well.
2: I want to switch it up here just a little bit and talk about the pandemic's impact on black women because it's disproportionately impacted black women in the workforce. Black women have seen a six percent drop in employment overall. White women saw just a three percent drop. What are you seeing? And what's your best advice, both to Black women looking to restart their careers and to white women who want to serve as allies and as advocates?
3: Mm-hmm. How interesting. You know, I have to say that I would not consider myself to be the spokesperson for Black women. And I do know that as a Black woman, I have many thoughts about how this has impacted my own life. But I don't claim to speak for anyone other than myself. But I know that we experience, I would say, a dereliction of duty. <laughs> a, uh, the medical establishment continues to fail Black women over and over again. And I think that the general workforce has exactly the same. And it really comes down to implicit bias that many of us are not willing to accept within ourselves. And so I would say as a call to action to all people who seek to live in allyship, whether that's white women or otherwise, I think the most important thing is examine your own implicit bias and to really be aware of the ways in which it impacts your decisions and makes you a part of this system that systemically disenfranchises so many. Many people, not just black women. So that would be my biggest tip for people who are not black women. But I think that if anyone, anyone, but especially black women who are re entering the workforce, who are trying to remember who they are, trying to remember and sustain their own power. To Back to what I said before about like taking a few minutes for yourself every day, just having some time to remember who you are, to be empowering yourself through any self-care practices. It might be a face mask. It might be just standing outside in the sunshine. It might be going to a kickboxing class. It, might, it could literally be anything. But just finding some time for yourself that is just for you. Try to stay away from toxic social media in which you are doom scrolling and comparing yourself against other people. And then Mm -hmm. I would say that in a larger sense, just anything that encourages you to compare yourself against anyone else has got to be X out because it just doesn't matter what's happening with anyone else. And worrying about what other people are doing is going to inhibit your ability to get to where you need to go. I always think of this thing that I heard Oprah says that you can't, Look, I mean, a lot of people say this, but it's the racehorse method. Like, you have to always look straight ahead. You can't look side to side. If you're like a racehorse, if they look side to side, they will fall, they will lose the race. But you look straight down the alley. And a part of that is taking care of yourself and really valuing your health and wellness, valuing your overall well being as the ultimate resource. So when we think about what our resources are, it's not just money. It's really being able to have access to the strongest version of ourselves, really being able to tune into this Teflon spirit that can handle anything, and that does. And I think so often, Black women especially, we end up in roles of support. We believe that we must support others, that we can't value our health. That's why so often we are not getting checkups the way that we should. You know, We're not being taken care of in the same ways, and it comes from not valuing ourselves and not understanding that if we're gonna take care of anybody else, we gotta take care of ourselves first but it means that you have to believe that you have worth. And the way that that can happen is by taking a couple minutes for yourself every single day to remember that you do have worth and that you are important.
2: Hey, everybody, it's Jean. If you want to continue unlocking your potential, then you should also check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by our friends at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast Talk Smart is the Webby Award winning best business podcast that received nearly 50 million downloads. It's the number one career podcast in 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking, to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are critical to business. All that and so much more is available on Think Fast, Talk Smart. Listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Hey, you guys, it's Jean. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love because I love it. Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and bestselling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business and economics and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, even Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics like whether AI has a sense of humor and whether two CEOs are better than one. If you are curious like me and just looking to better understand the world around you, you will find it on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm talking with Jessamyn Stanley, yoga instructor, body positivity advocate, and author of the books Everybody Yoga and Yoke, My Yoga of Self Acceptance. So, when it comes to health and money, I have come to believe that it is really hard to have one without the other these days. That if you don't have a financial life that is working for you, it's really hard to get those checkups. It's really hard to maintain your health long term. And if your health isn't working for you, then it's going to sap all of your financial resources really quickly. How do we solve this problem? How do we make wellness accessible to
3: all? Mm. Oh, my goodness. This is the million-dollar question. And this is the thing. You know, I was... At a group of individuals, scientists, creators who are very concerned with the well-being of America, and we were really talking about this, it is literally like, how do we help everyone be well? When we understand fundamentally that on an individual level, that if one of us is not well, then all of us are not well period. And that we have to understand that at the base levels, at the broadest part of the foundation, so that we can make changes that actually end with everyone being well. And I think the first part of this is actually accepting that as a society, we have not always wanted for everyone to be well. That has not been a part of the equation. Inequity is in the foundation. And so until we address that and accept that at a macro scale, I don't really see how we can make any adjustments at any other scale. But I also think that on the individual level, it's important to think about the fact that you can either spend your money now or you can spend it later. (laughs) So I've thought about this a lot with different medical treatments that you can either spend money on the maintenance or you can spend money later when, when there is a major decay. And it's the same as anything that happens with your car or your house. Your mm-hmm. body is just like anything else. That In the same way that you care for those objects. No, you're so right. I call this
2: the clean your gutters attitude towards your body, right? You don't clean your gutters. They are going to overflow with leaves. Exactly. And eventually you're going to have to put in a French drain in your basement and that's going to cost you thousands of dollars. Literally. Whereas cleaning your gutters would cost you a couple of hours on the weekends.
3: Literally. And you can be annoyed with it the whole time that you're cleaning your gutters. But you know what's going to happen is that your gutters are going to be clean and you're not going to have to get that French store. You're not going to have to do that. It comes down to valuing nutrition, valuing water consumption, valuing sleep and rest, that's the keys to health ultimately. There are a lot of other factors, but no matter what happens to your body, that's going to be some part of what your treatment is going to be that. So if you can just start with that and that it doesn't have to mean like, oh, I think part of it also is understanding that you don't have to go from zero to a hundred. You can just start with like, a couple of different things and it can fit your budget where you are right now. It doesn't need to be that you are, you know, deciding that you have to spend the most on like, sometimes it means simplifying and Mm -hmm. just doing a couple different things. Even just saying like that you're going to focus solely on water intake. I think that's something that all of us can do is just focus on water intake and that it's not having the most, thorough supplements plan wherein you're spending hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars every month to maintain a certain plan, but it is something that is definitely going to do your body good. And seeing the direct connection between how much water you take in and how much money you take in, like all of these things are connected to one another. And I think that that's where we have to start on an individual level is seeing that the small steps really do make a difference and they are directly connected to everything that we're capable of doing at a larger scale as well.
2: A hundred percent. And I've told this story on the podcast before, but years ago, I did work with Oprah on a program called The Debt Diet, where we helped a million people take a hard look at their spending and pay down some high interest rate credit card debt. And you know what happened to those people? They lost weight.
3: I bet they did. Oh, I bet they did. They
2: lost weight because they were looking at how much money they were spending on food and started cooking and started drinking more water instead of more soft drinks, and they lost weight. And so you're right, one good change absolutely leads to another. With all that you do, Jessamine, as an influencer and an author, and a health guru, it's easy to forget that you're also a teacher. You are a yoga instructor. So what have you found is the best instruction you can give to a student to get them in a calmer, better, more positive headspace? In other words, what can you leave us with today that will help us feel more ready to take on the outside world?
3: Oh, my goodness. If I could say anything to anyone It is be easy on yourself, be easy on yourself. There are so many different parts of this life where it is important to be hard on yourself. It's important to have lines, but honestly, in your self-care, in your moments of rest, be easy on yourself. Just be, be kind to yourself, respect the steps that you take toward a brighter future Respect them as important. Respect the falls that you make on the way to your brighter future because they are granting you with wisdom. Respect where you are right now. Love this part of the journey, whatever part it is, especially if it's the hard part. And that it's just because it is hard does not mean that it is bad does not mean that you are not worthwhile. And it is only through the the true duress of life that we learn about the power of our spirits and know that you are important and that your light shines for a reason and that if you shine, we can all shine.
2: Jessamine Stanley's new book is Yoke: My Yoga of Self- Acceptance. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
2: And we'll be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. And her money's Catherine Tuggle joins us now for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. Thank you for teeing that one up. I appreciate it. Oh, yes. I
0: love Jessamine. I follow her on Instagram and uh, I'm continually impressed by her wisdom and her flexibility. In
2: more ways than one, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Just as an aside on the shoes, shoe sales actually were down about 20%, a little more than 20% last year. So we were definitely refilling our makeup bags, but maybe buying shirts and very little else. Leggings. We were. Of course. We bought a lot of leggings to do a lot of yoga. Leggings and
0: athletic shoes. I think we're doing fine. And then I saw another stat when I was Googling that said that like hiking boots sales were up. So that's indicative of how more people decided to basically take all their vacations outside.
2: Yeah, and you know, you couldn't get a bike to save your life, so. No, Um, not at all. Exactly, whether it was indoor or outdoor. She did leave us with a lot of really interesting suggestions. And I love the idea that you'll feel more positively about yourself if you just give yourself a few minutes to focus on you, right? I mean, I guess that's what yoga is all about. You're a practitioner. I can't touch my toes. So that just is one of the differences between us. But I do it when I run. I do it in other ways. I do it when I go for a walk. And I think it is important.
0: Yeah. And I think that that is one of the cornerstones of yoga you know that when you are on your mat the four corners of your mat are the whole world and it really helps you i think to be present not just in that moment but also when you step off the mat because i think in my first yoga classes especially when there are some incredibly talented yogis next to you i think it's very easy to think everybody's watching me or this person is better than me And after a few classes, you just really get in the zone and you just start to realize like no one cares. I am here on my mat and this is my space and my time. And um, trying to channel that into all areas of life is such a valuable tool.
2: Yeah, it's a lesson we should all take from the mat and try to expand it into the rest of our horizons. Anyway, I enjoyed that, so let's answer some questions. Absolutely. Our first
0: question comes to us from an anonymous listener. She writes, Hi Gene and Catherine, I'm going to start by saying I know I have to meet with a financial advisor. I would love to hear your opinion in terms of priorities. I'm a 30-year-old designer in New York City for a small office. Benefits are not great, I make $66,000 a year, and I get deducted over $475,000 a month for health insurance high deductible. So honestly, it's just a lot. Thanks to your advice. I've been determined to save more money and I've been putting aside 19% of my monthly salary into my 401k, which averages to roughly a thousand dollars a month. My office does not match after all the deductions. I end up with $2,800 a month in my bank, which with all the hard work and extremely long hours I've been putting in, it just doesn't seem like much. I work over 65 hours a week without getting compensated over time. Of course, you know the high cost of living in NYC. I pay about $1,250 a month in rent, I live with a roommate to lower the costs, and I'm living as frugally as I can after realizing I really don't need much. I do, unfortunately, have a hefty amount of student loans of about $52,000. This amount makes me extremely nervous. I had stopped making payments with the pandemic, but resumed and I've managed to make payments and get my student loan interest deduction for 2020. I paid the accrued interest and I'm now making some progress by paying the principal. Throughout the pandemic, I prioritized paying my credit card debt, which unfortunately included medical bills, and I've just finished paying it off. It feels so good. Of course, my head can't stop thinking about the amount of money I could have invested instead or put towards my emergency fund. I know the past is the past, and I truly regret my bad financial decisions. I'm on a new journey now, and I'm determined to save as much as I can and pay off my student loan debt. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to be stuck with this debt for ages, and I won't be able to purchase a house or retire decently. Only this year, I finally opened an IRA account where I contributed $1,500 for 2020. I'm definitely planning on putting more in for 2021. I didn't grow up in this country, so I feel a little bit behind my peers. My questions are the following. Number one, do you think I should prioritize paying more of my student loans rather than my 401k and putting more aside for my emergency fund? I currently have $3,000 set aside for emergencies. Number two, in my 401k contribution, I have 3% Roth and 16% regular. I know in a previous episode, you suggested going with Roth, It hurts to be paying so much tax all the time and seeing my paycheck get so slim. It's already slim after they take out insurance and 401k contributions. Number three, I have listened to hours of your podcast and I know that ideally you should contribute the max to your 401k every year of 19,500 and 6,000 for your IRA. But I just can't do this right now given my other expenses. At least this year, I'll try to maximize the IRA. Any help you can offer would be so appreciated. I will meet with a financial advisor at some point. I cannot even tell you how grateful I am for having discovered you. I have spread the word with many friends and we are all starting our own financial journeys and check in on one another. Truly thanks from the bottom of my heart. I love this podcast so much. P.S. You both crack me up with your absolutely and 100%. They've almost become signature items for the show.
2: So, first of all, Michelle, let me just say stop apologizing for not having sought out a financial advisor yet. I understand that we suggest that often, and it is an important step that maybe you will want to take at some point in your life. But right now, it really sounds like you've got a good handle on your priorities and a good handle on your goals, and I'm gonna weigh in on those, but stop beating yourself up. You don't have to see a financial advisor tomorrow. You don't have to see one next week or even next year. As we heard Kathy Murphy, the president of Fidelity Investments say on this show, sometimes what you need is a financial advisor and sometimes what you need is advice. And so let's talk about a little bit of advice at this point. When you ask your specific questions, let me just take them one by one. Do I think you should prioritize paying more of your student loans rather than your 401k? I don't. I think it's okay to pay your student loans on the timetable that they've given you as long as they're affordable and The fact that you're working on paying the principal is a good thing. But it's really important to put your money away for the future, even though your office doesn't match. I would probably put a small additional amount toward that emergency cushion because that $3,000 won't bail you out in terms of a long-term emergency. But maybe divert a few of the funds toward the emergency cushion rather than toward the student loans. You are, as far as your second question, young. And as a younger person in your 30s, putting more money towards a Roth where you pay the taxes up front will be beneficial in the long run. But you're right. It does come as a cost right now, and that cost might be tough to bear. Why don't you try slowly shifting your mix over time? So maybe this year you're doing 16% regular, 3% Roth. Maybe next year it's 4% Roth and 15% regular, and then 5% Roth and 14% regular, and you get what I'm doing. Over time, we put more money into the portion on which You've already paid taxes. And as for your final point, rather than focusing on saving more, saving more, saving more, I'd like you to focus on trying to earn a little bit more. I think you are living through right now a boom in hiring. It's not true in every field, it's not true in every city, but I spent part of last weekend with my son and his girlfriend. She is a headhunter, mostly for startups. And the world that she is living in right now is one where her candidates are being interviewed for five, six, seven, sometimes more jobs at a single time. I think the opportunities are out there And so what I'd like to see you do is put some of your energies toward putting your resume together and either getting out and looking for a new job that perhaps pays you a little more or talking to your current employer about whether it's time for you to receive a much needed raise. And that's something I feel both absolutely and 100%. So thank you so much for the letter and please let us know how it goes. Thank you so much
0: for the great advice, Jean. I could not agree more. Our next question comes to us from Nancy. She writes, Hi Gene and team, I am 35 years old and a mother of a 12 year old tween. I'm selling my house and moving in with my fiance. Since I don't need to use the profits of the sale to purchase another home, I want to invest it. It will be about $130,000. I also recently lost my job and received a large lump sum of cash of 50,000. In addition, I have 180,000 in an old 401k that I'm looking to move to avoid the management fees that I'm currently charged. I need some of the cash to hold me over until I find my next opportunity And I also just started a part-time evening master's degree program that will help me in my career advancement which I am self-funding. It will cost $35,000 over the next two years. There's a lot going on, as you can see, but I want to make sure I'm investing my money wisely and in the right accounts. I'd love to get your thoughts on how much I should keep as liquid assets and what to do with the rest. Also, how do I know when it's time to call in a professional financial advisor and how to find the right one? I feel like I'm suffering from analysis paralysis, and I want to make sure I'm proceeding carefully with my money, but avoiding delays and investing it correctly. Your
2: guidance is welcome and appreciated. Thank you in advance for your help. Thanks for the letter Nancy it sounds like you are heading into a very exciting time congratulations on all the movement in your life congratulations on your upcoming marriage before you do anything with this money i want you and your fiance to sit down and i want you to really have a good understanding of what your financial obligations are going to be going forward it's great that you don't need to use the profits from the sale of your home to buy another home and that you want to invest the money in the $180,000 that is sitting both in that pool of money and in your old 401k presents a great opportunity. But let's figure out first what that cash is going to need to do for you over the next six to 12 months before you put any of that money to work. We know, and I'm not, by the way, talking about the money in your old 401k. You shouldn't pull that out of that 401k. You should just roll it over into an IRA and put it to work in investments that make sense for you. I do think because you're coming into this marriage with a child, because you're coming into this marriage with your own obligations, a financial advisor would be a useful step for you at this point. If you go to Her Money's website, you'll find a button that says Find an advisor. And we will take you through a questionnaire and then serve up with our partnership with WealthRamp a, a few suggestions for advisors that might work for you. We're not going to have anybody call you. That's not the way we roll. But if you want to reach out to them, that might be a good way to go. I also think that you may want to consider a prenup. You're coming into this marriage with both assets and obligations to your tween. And I just want to make sure that you're taking care of going forward, and I wonder if your new spouse will want the same sort of protection as well. I know some people view prenups as very unromantic and have a lot of feelings about them, and sometimes those feelings run negative. I did one before I got remarried. My mother did one before she got remarried. They're not at all scary. Once you do them, it's just a piece of paper. You sign it, you put it in a drawer and you know that you're taken care of for the future.
0: Thanks, Catherine. Absolutely, Jean. Thank you so much.
2: And in today's Thrive, how to save money on every vacation, even international travel. When Wanderlust gets the best of you, it is easy to lose a couple of hours researching the best flights, hotels with rooms to die for, and other adventures you'll want to experience on your journey. Even though many of us aren't ready to pull the trigger on a trip just yet, we're doing lots of research now—window shopping, if you will—on the best possible getaways we can take when the world is safe to travel. As you're scrolling your favorite travel apps, you'll probably notice there are so many ways to spend on trips. With a quick tap, we can overspend on a great view that we're never going to be in the hotel room long enough to appreciate, or... We can book a cheap but less than desirable experience. Thankfully, there are many ways to have an exciting, memorable getaway while still saving Boku bucks. At Her Money This Week, we break down frequent travelers' best secrets for saving the most while still having the most fun. First be strategic with meals. On vacation, no one wants to cook daily, but spending every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner really does add up. Here's what a strategic meal plan for your day might include. Enjoying the free breakfast at your hotel, then for lunch, maybe some tapas or splitting something small with your travel companion, and then dinner can be your one splurge meal. After all, you're in a new place, so you definitely want to experience the food culture. Second, choose a hotel that's away from the city center. While being right in the heart of town or on the beach can be great, it's easy to blow your entire budget on accommodations when you do that. Sometimes, with just a quick 10-minute walk away, you'll see the price plummet by hundreds of dollars. So expand your search a bit and pack your favorite walking shoes. Last, look to get around like a local. Another way your credit card bill can skyrocket on vacation is with transportation costs. Whether you're renting a car or buying an expensive Eurail pass, getting from point A to point B adds up quickly. To reduce this category, do some research into how the locals get around. That could mean buses subways or a wildly unique experience like motorcycle taxis or rental bikes or scooters. It may put you a little out of your comfort zone, but that's what traveling is all about. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money and to Jessamine Stanley for sharing her Zen insight and wisdom with us today. I needed that dose of body positivity and advice and I am so glad she was here. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review because we love hearing what you think. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon.